let's get into this tonight. Go, let's go to the book of Ephesians tonight. Ephesians is full of good stuff. And we're not going to get anywhere near through all of it tonight. But we're going we're gonna to look at some things. Alright guys, let's Let's focus here. Hook them up because we, we need to, you guys need to see this. Need to put your eyes on this. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 1. Chapter 1. Mm-hmm. All right. Praise God. Praise God. Woo. Uh, yeah. yeah, but it's, as long as it's the New Testament, you got the right section for tonight. Because, <laughs> I mean, the, the whole book's good. We're, we're thankful for it. But I learned this years ago. Uh, a well-known minister, some of, you guys, some of you guys may have heard of him, a uh, minister by the name of Kenneth Hagin. He, he used to say this. He said, you should, you should read the whole book. You should know the whole book. But... The epistles, the writings of Paul, were written to the church. So this is where we need to live. This is where we find out who we are. I started in on something, started in on something a few months ago. Going back into, going back into last year, we, we spent some time on a series of nine things that you need to know to live in this world. And number eight of those nine things, I don't have time to review all nine of them, unfortunately. But number eight of those nine things was that you need to know your identity. You need to know who you are. And as I wrapped up that series, I, I fully admit I borrowed that series from my father. My, my dad is the founder and president of Faith Alive Ministries and has been my favorite preacher as long as I've been alive. So, I mean, if I'm going to steal from somebody, I steal from the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. We we don't steal. We borrow. You're right. Amen. 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 Ephesians chapter one. Chapter one. And um, as I as I wrapped that series up, I began to pray. I was thinking, Lord, what do I need to share next? Because what I had been doing over the last several years, we've been doing this prison ministry now for, goodness, 17 years. We started doing this back in 2000. And I, at that time, we had a full team that came in with us. You know, we were carrying in a full PA system and had a full band with us every time. And I wasn't preaching at that time. I was, I started out running sound and then playing keyboard. And, when that team that we had kind of imploded, you know, sometimes personal conflicts come into play where if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, everyone in the, everyone in the family of God is your brother. That doesn't mean you always get along with them. Right. You know, if, if one person is a nose and another person is an armpit, they don't always get along. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I borrowed that one from someone, but I don't remember who. In any case, when that, when that team imploded, what came out of the ashes of that was that mom and dad and another friend of ours, Brenda, and then Melanie and myself, we five kept doing this ministry. Well, 
a little bit later, God calls mom and dad off to Arizona. They've been in Arizona ministering on the uh, Tohono Otham Reservation there in uh, southern Arizona for about the last 10 years now. And I didn't realize it had been that long, but it has. But it's, So at that point, I kind of got thrust into this. And so what I had started doing was just going through going through books of the Bible, verse by verse, line by line. And that's a very, very good way to preach. It's very effective. The problem was, from month to month, we don't know who's going to be able to come into our services. There at one time, especially in here, one month we'd have you know particular pods. The next month we'd have different people. And so I said, Lord, I need something that every time I go in, it's going to stand by itself. So that you're not coming in in the middle of something saying, what is he talking about? And so I was praying about what to do next. And, you know, sometimes you get a piece of music that just starts going around and around and around in your head. What we call an earworm. You get a little, sometimes it's just like a 30 second clip or even less of music just going round and round and round. Keeps looping in your head. Well, for me that day, the piece that kept looping around in my head was the theme from, from CSI, the song by The Who called Who Are You? And it kept looping around in my head. Who are you? Who, who? Who are you? And I said, yes, Lord, we need to know who you are. And he said, yeah, you do need to know who I am, but you need to know who you are. I said, okay, Lord, who am I? And in just moments, it just started flowing. I've got a, I've got a sheet on my computer. Actually, I probably don't have the sheet on my computer because I did it at work and my computer, my work computer crashed a couple weeks ago. That's all right. God can give it to me again. Not a problem. But just who are you? It's like we are children of God. We are sons of God. We spent some time in here last month talking about being the sons of God, being the children of God. And so tonight, I have some things I want you to see in Ephesians about who we are in Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We come before you with honor and with reverence. I don't take this lightly, Lord. I don't do this just to fill time, but I come here to speak your word. So Lord, let your spirit speak through me that the words I speak are from you and not from me. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to start at the very beginning, as the, as the old song says, start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. <laughs> so he says here, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I could stop right there and take off, because who are we? We are who we are. He says in another place, I am what I am by the grace of God. We are who we are because God has a plan for us. Paul did not wake up one morning and decide, I'm going to be an apostle. He woke up one morning saying, I'm going to persecute Christians. And he was on his way to Damascus. And you guys know the story. God knocked him off of his donkey, said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, he thought real quick and said, who are you, Lord? (laughs) The shortest salvation prayer ever. Who are you, Lord? And... He answered his own question. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord says, I am Jesus, whom you've been persecuting. And from that moment on, Paul's life, his direction was changed. My direction, my path for my life was set into motion before I was born. Mom and dad did not say, 
oh, we're going to have a kid and he's going to be a preacher. They didn't, they didn't have that. But what they did have was a verse that was quoted over me literally thousands of times. I am not exaggerating. And it's Isaiah. Hold your place in Ephesians. Because <laughs> we are going to come right back there. But Isaiah chapter 54, I believe. I always, I do this, I do this every time. Yeah, it is. Isaiah chapter 54. And mom and dad quoted verse 13 of Isaiah 54 over me all the time. It says, All your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Mom and dad quoted it over, quoted it over me in the Amplified. It says, All your children shall be disciples, taught of the Lord, obedient to his will, and great shall be the peace and undisturbed composure of your children. They quoted that over me. Day after day after day, sometimes multiple times a day growing up. And so it was instilled in me. I knew, I knew that I really didn't have a lot of choice in the matter. Matter of fact, my brother, my brother kind of ran from God for a little while. And he comes to dad one day and he says, I don't believe this. I, I think this is all emotion. I think it's all made up. And he'd grown up in the church. He grew up the same service as I did, was active in the youth group, all this kind of thing. And he says, what about my free will? And dad looks at him and says, you don't have one. <laughs> dad, looks at, dad looks at him and says, I've got this that says my children will be disciples out of the Lord. I've got this that says if I'll, that I, if I'll believe that I'll be saved and my household. You don't have a choice. Get with it. <laughs> and, so, and so Matt ran from God for, for a little while. You know, you know, people like to think they can run from God, but like, like, the Lord said to Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to, it's hard for you to fight this thing. And so I grew up with that. So I'm here because this was the will of God for my life. I'm here because this was God's plan for me. I'm not here just to take up time, but I'm here because God said, that's where you're supposed to be. Go do this. So Paul, an apostle by the will of God, to the saints, that's us, the ones that are set apart, the church, the body of Christ, the saints who are in Ephesus, the saints who are in Cushing, the saints who are in Oklahoma, the saints around the world, and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Then he says this. I love this verse. And Paul starts all of his letters out like this. I was at a church once, and they said, we're going to do an in-depth study of... It was the book of Philippians, which is another great book that Paul wrote. And, and I got, we got there. We got there when they started it. And the first week, they started in verse 14 of chapter 1 of, of Philippians. I was like, you skipped the intro. There's so much in there. Grace to you. Let's just go there. I, I, this excites me. I, I could preach this easier in tongues than I can in English. Grace to you. That word grace. One preacher defines it as God's super on your natural. This is when, this is when God supernaturally empowers you to do what he's called you to do. Because when God called Paul, when he, when he changed Paul's path there on the road to Damascus, he told him what he wanted him to do. And then he gave him direction as to how this was going to happen. He says, Go talk to Ananias. Ananias is going to pray for you. You're, you'll be able to see again. Then we, then he disappears into the desert to learn from God. 
But that grace is God's empowerment. One definition that we hear in the church all the time is that it's God's unmerited favor. That means we didn't earn it. There was nothing that you could do to earn your salvation. There was nothing you could do to earn the grace and mercy of God. None of us could be that good. If we could be good enough to do it on our own, Jesus wouldn't have had to have come. But Jesus came. And why did Jesus come? <laughs> Take a hundred people. Do a, do a family feud style poll. Ask a hundred church people, why did Jesus come? And you're going to get all these different answers. You're going to get all these things that he came to save us from our sin. Uh, he says of himself, he says, I did not come to do my own will, but to do the will of my father. He says, I came to seek and save that which was lost. But what the big thing, the big thing that Jesus came to do, we have gone way afield of where I thought this was going. <laughs> he came to destroy the works of the evil one. How did he do that though? John 10, 10. The thief comes not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they might have and enjoy life in abundance to the full till it overflows. Come on. That's why Jesus came. That's what the grace of God is. Romans chapter 5 tells us the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. That word shed abroad means he's pouring it in without respect to our capacity to receive it. Take a large container. I started using a five-gallon bucket, but I said five-gallon buckets are going to fill up too fast here. But take yourself a 55-gallon drum and take your fire truck, your, your big tanker, and you crank that nozzle over and you point it into that, into that drum. Well, it's going to fill up pretty quick. The water ain't going to stop coming out. <laughs> Until somebody goes over and cranks it back off. But that's what's happening when God sheds his love abroad in our heart. When he pours out his love in our heart, it's poured out without respect to our capacity to receive it. So even though we don't have enough room, that's what he was talking about. Our cup overflows. This is what the psalmist was talking about. He says, my cup runneth over. This is what he was talking about in Malachi when he says, Test me in this and see if I don't pour you out a blessing that you don't have room to contain. His love, he pours out on us more than we have the capability to contain. Oh man, I had a, I have a friend and we were talking before, before I got ready to head for our service at Eddie Warrior last week. And she grew up in the church, but got got burned by some things that happened in in her particular church and she's completely lost faith in the church as far as i know she's not a believer in jesus at all but we were we were talking and i said well i've got to go i got to get ready to go to do my service and we went into what i was getting ready to do that night she's like well just don't preach to me and i i respect that if somebody doesn't want to be preached to I'm not here to cast my pearls before swine, but it hit me. And it hit me just so hard on my way to that service that the reason people don't want to be preached to, and I know you guys have run into him too, people that are like, don't come at me with that Jesus stuff. Don't talk to me about your God. 
If, if, you, if you've got such a good God, why are we in here? If you've got such a good God, why, why did this happen? Why did, why did God take my mother? Why did God do all this? Then they'll just keep going. The reason people don't want to hear it is because they've never heard good news. They've been preached at that you're a sinner, that you're dying, that you're going to hell. But they've never really heard good news. My mom says it this way, and she says it all the time. If people only knew, if they only realized how good God really is, and however good you think God is, none of us have, none of us have yet seen how good he really is. But he, it's beginning to be revealed. The, the, the verse that's constantly quoted, you see it on you see it on your little inspirational plates and things all the time. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men. The things God has prepared for those who love him. And I'll stop at the end of that verse and I'm like, put it back where you got it. Next verse. But he has revealed them to us by his spirit. So the spirit of God is revealing the good things of God to us. So grace to you. <laughs> oh man, we haven't even gotten through verse three. Whew. Grace to you. And peace. Now, peace is not absence of conflict. Because another verse that I quote often, John 16, 33. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Just because you got born again doesn't mean that suddenly you have no more problems. And if any preacher ever tried to tell you that, they didn't read the book because it's it's very clear John 16:33 that in this world you will have tribulations you will have trials the tests will come Paul talks about it's in another place he talks about all the things that he went through and these were things he went through after he got to know Jesus but second part of John 16:33 I mean, have you ever, ever, have ever, ever had to talk to your kids and say, put that back where you got it from? <laughs> Somebody, you know, your kids wandering around with whatever it is. And you're like, put that back. You don't need to be wandering around with that. Put it back where you got it from. Now, this is what you got to do with things like that. John 16, 33. In this world, you will have tribulation. But <laughs> be of good cheer, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. The Amplified says, I have deprived this world of its power to hurt you. So that's what this peace means. Paul was writing in Greek, but he was a Jew. He knew Hebrew. The word in Hebrew is the word shalom. And it means literally to have nothing missing and nothing broken. That means that every piece of your life, spirit, soul, and body, physical, financial, relational, whatever it may be, the peace of God, Grace to you and peace means that his shalom peace, that nothing missing, nothing broken. Who are we? This isn't where I was going, but who are we? We are the friends of God. We have peace with God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this next verse. Many of you will remember right after 9-11, 2001, that all over the place, you started seeing people singing God Bless America. The word, they were saying, God Bless America. There was a pivot, at least momentarily. 
It didn't seem to last all that long. But there was a pivot, at least momentarily, toward the things of God. And you'd hear people singing the old patriotic song, God Bless America. I put it on my Facebook one day, and I'm not here to freak anyone out. I put it on my Facebook one day, and I said, God is not going to bless you. And I thought about just leaving it at that and making people do their own study. But I thought, no, let's go ahead and give them the reference. And the reference is Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch the verb tense here. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That means that God is not going to bless you because you're already blessed. The victory has already been paid for. When Jesus said, it is finished, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary meant that we now have the victory in Him. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That leaves nothing out. Every means every. (laughs) We have authority. We have authority over the powers of darkness. Why? Because we're in Him. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna see more of this in the next few months. But we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as we are chosen. I love this. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So when the enemy comes at you, as he will. In this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, in this world, you will have the enemy try to come at you with something you did or something you thought about doing. It's like, well, you shouldn't even have thought about that. No. No, devil. I'm chosen. I have been selected. I have been picked. And he took me, Jesus took me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. God took me and placed me in the kingdom of his dear son. I have been chosen. That means I'm untouchable. (laughs) The enemy cannot touch you because you have been chosen. And so he says, so the enemy comes at you. I'm going to kill you. Number one, (laughs) number one, number one, you can't kill me because I'm already a dead man. I, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. But number two, even if you manage to knock my physical body out, I'm, I'm on my way to heaven. What, what, what are you going to do to me? (laughs) There's nothing that can stop this. I was like, no, I've been chosen. What does that mean? What does it mean when we look at our lives? If we've been chosen in Him, it means, yes, that the victory is already ours. It means, yes, that the enemy cannot defeat us. But it also empowers us to live a holy life, to be the picture of Jesus Christ on the earth. I... I had I had this hit me on the way to that service last week as well. And I, I'm going to study it out and we're going to get more into it later. That we are, this is another thing that we are, we are the love of God on this earth. If God is love, and he is, and if, as 
John says over in 1 John, that as he is, so are we in this world. Then we are, and Jesus said we are the light of the world, even as he is the light, but we are the, we are the demonstration and the manifestation of the love of God on this planet. When somebody's hurting, when somebody's in pain, they should be able to look at us and say, there is somebody that loves. The love of God constrains us. The love of God should be so manifested in us that people that, people that don't even know God, because they're looking at us, there's something different about them. And I don't mean different as in weird. Now, <laughs> am I weird? Sure. Just ask my wife. She lives with me. I'm, I'm, I'm weird. But, <laughs> amen, praise God. I think, I think we're all a little bit weird. But people, <laughs> but people should be able to look at us and say, yeah, that person's weird, but they love me. <laughs> oh, praise God. Praise God. Let's, let's move on. How much time do I have, guys? I still got some time. We're, 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 le- we're less than an hour into this service. Right. <laughs> Amen. That's right. Now, I, I said, I've, I've said it before and I'll, I'll say it again. The time is coming. It's not here. It's not here yet. But the time is coming that the Spirit of God will be manifested in such a powerful way that we'll get a service started. And it may not be somebody outside coming in. It may be one of the services that's you know done by people in here. Who knows? But that it just doesn't stop. That the power of God just hits. And nobody wants it to stop, and nobody's going to make it stop. That's right. That's <laughs> but right. until that time comes, we'll, we'll follow the rules. But I still got some time here. Okay, verse 5. It says that he has predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. As I said, we talked about that a little bit. Well, we talked about that quite a bit last month. That we have been adopted into the family of God. When you're adopted into the family, when the adoption is complete, one of my coworkers missed work yesterday because he had to go to court to finalize the adoption of his of his young son. He and his wife made the decision to adopt this boy and the and he had to go to court yesterday to finish it up and that was that was going to make it official. But when you've been adopted into the family, legally and ethically, there is no difference between a child that is adopted and a child that is biological. So We've been adopted into the family of God. That means God is our father. And that means that everything that he has, we have access to. Talked about this a little last, a little bit last month. That if you have a very rich person, I used the example last month of Donald Trump. He's a very, very rich person. Well, his young son, Baron, because he's an heir, has access to everything that his father has. Now, because he's not yet a mature son, he can't just walk up to the to the penthouse of Trump Tower and grab the checkbook or the corporate credit card and go run off with it. Now, 
President Trump's mature children, Donald, Eric, those guys, they can, they can do that. They've got the authority to grab dad's corporate credit card and go take it and do what they want to with it. In the same way, we have access to everything that the father has. The riches of eternity are ours. So, he's predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. This is the one I spent so much time on, and this is the one I thought we were going to spend a lot of time on here, but the one I spent so much time on last week at Eddie Warrior. To the praise of the glory of his grace, verse 6, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. This is big because so many people, they've been rejected by people who should have loved them. They had a horrible relationship with their parents. They had a horrible relationship with people who were in authority over them. Maybe the authority was abused and misused. Maybe they were sexually abused. You know, it may be so many different things. But because of that, maybe, maybe it wasn't sexual. Maybe it was just, just. Maybe it was mom and dad saying, maybe dad ran off and mom saying, well, you're going to grow up to be just like your dad. I don't know what it is, but so many of us, so many people are dealing with that rejection that people have rejected them. And because people have rejected them and because they haven't truly heard the good news, maybe they've had, maybe they've had death, hell and the grave preached at them. But I read this today and it made so much sense. If your gospel ends at the cross, you don't have the gospel. Because there's a whole bunch beyond that. It doesn't stop with him dying. It stops with him coming back. And here's why he did it. So that we would be accepted in the beloved. So that's another thing. When the enemy comes at you and comes at you and he's like, oh, you're, you're nothing. You'll never amount to anything. Like, I already have. I am accepted in the beloved. I am a child of God. And it does not yet appear what I shall be. But we know that when he is revealed right here, right now, not when we get to heaven, not in the future sometime, but when he is revealed in me, I shall be like him for I shall see him as he is. So when the enemy comes at me, oh, you did this, you did that. And I'm, okay, I'm not here to try to whitewash and to sugarcoat sin. Sin is deadly. We need to not do it. This is why Jesus came. He came to give us abundant life. And abundant life is a life that is free from sin. But there is a grace that is greater than our sin. So if we sin, 1 John chapter 1, if we sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's what happens. A sinner comes to know Jesus. They, we call it, they get saved. They're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And then something happens and they blow it. The temptation to do something that they know they shouldn't do comes to them. And for lack of a better term, they fall into it. They are tempted and they commit a sin. 
So, but then first John one nine, they confess their sin they're and they're forgiven, but the enemy still comes back. It's like, you remember what you did last week. You remember what you did two hours before that service for families. It's like, you remember the way you talked to your kids or to your wife on the way to that service. <laughs> Come on. I, I've been there. I've, I, like I said, I grew up in this. I, my, I've been a preacher's kid all my life. And we would have, we'd have, we'd have some mornings that getting all the kids up and getting them all, getting us all ready to go. By the time we were on our way to church, mom and dad were both on, you know, on the ragged edge. And one little thing, and there was more than once, dad would have to stop and repent and apologize before he went into a service. I've had to do it. But the enemy will come at you and he'll say, you remember that? I'm like, God doesn't remember it. He cast it into the sea of forgetfulness, the psalmist writes. He cast it as far as the east is from the west. Why should I remember it? And it's like, because of that, we have been accepted in the beloved that whatever I did before, and this is what I, this is what I started to say, the church at large, and I, I, I'm not here to bash on any individual, but people in the church, if a, if somebody, whatever they did before they came to church, we'll wipe all that out. We'll, we'll put all that under the blood. But if they mess up now that they're in church, Oh, you messed up. Now God can't use you. No. If he can forgive what they did before, he can forgive what they did now. And he says, if you'll come to me, not only will I forgive your sin, but that's the second part of 1 John 1, 9, that I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, if you're cleansed from all unrighteousness, if that sin is not only forgiven, but wiped out, that grace empowers us to not do it again. That's why he could say to the woman, go and sin no more. Right. I, I don't even, I'm not too concerned about that because that's not something you do accidentally. <laughs> if those, the, the person who would commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit has gone so far away from the things of God that they don't even have a desire to turn toward God. Because if you've got, if you've got that, that longing in your heart to turn toward God, to do the things... This is why Paul would write over in, over in Romans chapter 7. I know I'm going all over the place. But <laughs> this is why Paul would write over in Romans chapter 7. He says, the things I don't want to do, those things I do. And the things that I want to do, those things I don't do. And... As, as long as you've got that desire to turn toward the things of God and to follow after God, you're not going to do that. You're not going to commit the unpardonable sin. So I'm not, I, I, I don't, you know, it's not that it can't be done because if it couldn't be done, Jesus wouldn't have talked about it. But I'm not overly concerned about that one. But, okay, we kind of already got into verse 7 here because we've been accepted in the beloved. Now, in him... We have redemption through his blood. Now, I've talked about redemption before. I'll go over it again. I understand a little bit about redemption because I enjoy shopping at pawn shops. People people bring their stuff in. 
Oh yeah, I've I've bought a, I've bought a lot of stuff. My a a a significant portion of my PA system came from pawn shops, but <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, so somebody somebody needs money, and so they they bring their their item, whatever it is. They bring their item in, and. The pawnbroker says, okay, I can give you this much money for it. Oh, you've got a Gutenberg Bible? I can give you 20 bucks for it. <laughs> That's... <laughs> well, if, I wouldn't. But it, the Gutenberg Bible being the first first Bible ever printed with a printing press, there are a couple of them that exist. They are extremely valuable. But in any case, so somebody brings in something, uh, give you 20 bucks for it. Okay. Person takes their money. They get their money. They get a pawn ticket. Now, if they come back within the agreed period of time and bring back that ticket and repay the money, they can redeem their merchandise back to themselves. If they don't, the pawnbroker puts it on the shelf and people like me come and buy it. But... That's what redemption is, that God purchased us. He said, I want that one, and I'm good. I'll pay whatever price I have to pay to get them. Well, the price that God had to pay to redeem us to himself was the death of his son. The blood of his son poured out on the cross of Calvary, that finished work that we talked about. In him, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Whatever, whatever you have done, it's not too big for God to forgive. Whatever you have done, God is not, you're not about to knock God off of his throne in surprise. God is not panicking. Oh my gosh, that it's like, oh my me, what am I going to do? Now we say, oh my God, what, what's God going to say? Oh my me, what am I going to do? That person has done more than, more than my sacrifice can pay for. Never going to happen. But in him, we have, re, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound. I love that word abound. Oh, I love that word. It means, again, we talked about this. It means that it's poured out on us without respect to our capacity to receive it. It is, this is what he talks about over in three, Ephesians 3.20, that he's able to do for us exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to his power that is at work within us. So he made it abound to us. He poured out that grace. He poured out that mercy. He poured out that peace on us. In all wisdom and prudence, this one's big, verse 8, verse 9 rather, verse 9, having been, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. People say, well, God's ways are mysterious. Well, the prophet wrote, my ways are not your ways, neither, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Then he says, Forsake your ways, forsake your thoughts, and take on mine. We can know what God's going to do because he's revealed it to us through his word. And he's revealed his word to us through the author of his word, the Holy Spirit, who is in us. You know, some, I, I, I love to read. 
have all my life. And sometimes, sometimes I'll see something in a book and it won't quite make sense to me. And I'll think, you know, I would really like to sit down with the author of this book and talk to them about it. Well, when you read the word, when you get into the Bible, the author, the one who wrote it, not the, not the physical person who put pen to paper, but the one who inspired that, the one who spoke those words, is in us. So the author is there. It is like, so you read something. And I, I've had this happen. I'm sure, I'm sure every one of us has. You read something in the Word, and you think, Lord, that doesn't quite make sense to me. What did you mean by that? Well, the Holy Spirit is not going to ignore you when you ask that kind of thing. He'll reveal His Word to you. Maybe, maybe there's another passage you need to see that He'll say, okay, tie that in with this, and He'll send you somewhere else. So, this tells us that He has made known to us so when we, when we talk about people saying you never know what's, what God's going to do, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. What is that mystery? What is the mystery of his will? Paul says it over in Colossians. He says he's made known to us the mystery, revealed unto us the mystery that's been hidden from the ages. That mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what is his will for us? It is that we would be conformed to the image of his dear son. If he's in us and we are in him, and we are, if you're a child of God, if you know Jesus, I got to stop for a second. I've been getting a lot of nods, a lot of amens. I appreciate that. But let's, let me clue you in on something here. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not a child of God, if you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, this isn't going to work for you. If you don't know Jesus, without knowing Jesus, that's why that was the number one of the nine things, was to know Jesus. Without knowing Jesus, I'm just a motivational speaker. I'm just a, you know, a Zig Ziglar or a Brian Tracy or a Tony Robbins. Now, Zig, Zig, Zig Ziglar was a great man of God. He passed away, but he's a, he was a great man of God. But without knowing Jesus... I'm just another motivational speaker. But if you know Jesus, if he is your Lord and Savior, then Christ in you, the hope of glory, that, and that is the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together, this is verse 10, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. What does this mean? This means that when, when Jesus, when God the Father and when Jesus Christ the Son, our Lord and Savior, when they look at the church on earth, they don't see Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Episcopalians and Charismatics and Church of Christ and Catholics. Yes, I don't care what else you may have heard. There are... Christians, there are believers, there are people who are on their way to heaven within the Roman Catholic Church, within the Baptists. You don't get saved by being a Baptist any more than you get saved by being a charismatic. I've been a charismatic, uh, charismatic Pentecostal all my life. 
I don't get, I don't get to heaven on the basis of that. I get, the, I get into heaven. I get into the body of Christ on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ. But when, when God the Father looks at his church, at his body, he doesn't see a black church, a white church, a red church, a yellow church. We are one body. That's what he's saying here is it's that he would gather together in one all things in Christ. That we would come, Paul says over in, over in chapter 5, that we would come into the unity of the faith. Not unity of doctrine. We're, until we get to heaven, until we hear it from, from the man himself, until we hear it from the voice of God, we're going to have things where we disagree on areas of doctrine, of whether or not, whether or not this is acceptable, or whether or not this is, is, is acceptable, whether or not we can do these things. Until we, until we get there, until we come in, until we get to heaven, we're going to have those disagreements. But my disagreement with my brother, I, I don't care how big the disagreement is. If he's a child of God, if he is named Jesus Christ as his Lord, then he's my brother. So that's what we're talking about. Unity there. Oh, verse 11. Oh, in him also, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, we talked a little bit about this last month in talking about being sons of God. The sons of God become heirs. That means this inheritance. I talked about this before. Jesus Christ died on the cross in order to put his will into effect. Because this is, this is true legally. It's true spiritually that... A will doesn't go into effect until the person who wrote the will dies. So Jesus' will went into effect when he died. But then, you guys, you may have seen this, that after somebody dies, they've got a will, but somebody will decide to contest that will. They'll they'll decide, oh, they left me out. They shouldn't have left me out. So I should get this portion. And so they'll, they'll fight against what was written in the will. Well, Jesus didn't leave that as an option. He died to put his will into effect. But then he rose from the dead. That's what I was saying. If, if, you're, if your gospel stops with the cross, you haven't gone far enough. He rose from the dead. And the word says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. That's what he was talking about over in 1 John again when he says that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have somebody that is pleading our case. Oh man, I've got to find that. I've got to find that poem and bring it in here. Years ago, goodness, this would have been 25 years ago. 25 years ago, I was in junior high. And we had, I was at a Christian school. And so, we had a lot of our things, such as literature, that were done from a Christian perspective. You still had, you know, secular literature, but it was the things that we would talk about with it would often come from a Christian perspective. But in one of our classes, we would memorize poetry. And there was a poem that I, I loved. It was one of the few actual Christian poems. I was really surprised that this independent fundamentalist Baptist uh, college that we got our textbooks from would put this in there. But I loved it. 
and I need to find it and bring it in here. But it's called the advocate, and it starts out with it's it starts out with a person saying, "I sinned," and straightway, post haste, Satan flew before the presence of the Most High God and made and made a railing accusation there and accused me. That's why the word calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. And the the person in this poem is just breaking down because they know that everything that Satan said about them was true. Satan wasn't lying about them. They actually did what Satan said they had done. But then, <laughs> our advocate. You realize this is a, this is a rigged game? Our, our brother is our advocate, and our father is the judge of the universe. What happens <laughs> when... When Satan comes before God and says, your kid did thus and such, God says, yeah, but the price has been paid. It's done. Praise God. <laughs> and so at the, 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 the rest of the poem, and Lord willing, if I can find it, I will bring it in here and I'll share it with you guys next week. Or next, yo, I started to say next week. It will be next week. This is one of those five Saturday months. So... We've got to double check with the chaplain at some point this week, make sure the schedule is still where it's supposed to be. But on those five Saturday months, we get to come in here on the fifth Saturday as well. So, uh, Lord willing, we'll be here next week with you as well. And if I can find that poem, I'll bring it. But it ends with Jesus saying, Well, what you've said is true. The soul that sinneth shall die. But wait, what if I took that penalty? What What if... The things that person has done were transferred to me and that I took their penalty. And then he says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side. I paid the penalty for their, for their sin. <laughs> and Satan has to go away saying, well, it's true. <laughs> they've, they've been bought. They're, they've been paid for. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he can't touch us. That's right. Oh, man. In him, this is in the Father, in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now there's a lot there, but let's kind of pack it up in this, that our inheritance, number one, our inheritance is eternal life. What does that mean? That means that abundant life that we talked about, John 10.10, 10, that we would have and enjoy life in abundance to the full until it overflows. Now, I am. My, my pastor in prayer keeps saying this, and I had to bite my tongue and didn't do a real great job of it Sunday morning because one thing that he says frequently, being a Assemblies of God preacher's kid himself, one of the things he says frequently is, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I had to bite my tongue to keep from yelling, I am! But what I, what I, what I want people to see is, it's not, it's not just about being you know, rich with the, with the things of this world. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But that's not, what, that's not what true abundance is. What true abundance is... <laughs> Paul talks about this in another place. What true abundance is, is that always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. 
That means that whatever God calls me to do, I don't have to ask the bank if I can do it. Prosperity means that while I enjoy my job, when the time comes to do what God has called me to do, when October rolls around and I don't have the dates yet, we may wind up missing our service in here in October. I don't know the exact dates for our conference yet. Every year we have a conference with mom and dad's church in Arizona. But it means that when it comes time to do that conference, yeah, I ask for the time off. Yeah, I try to get it, get the time off to go do what I need to do. But always having all sufficiency in all things means that whether they say yay or nay, I can follow the call of God on my life. That's what he's talking about here. That's the inheritance that he's talking about here. The eternal life that starts now. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. It doesn't start when your physical body lays down. It starts now. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now, all this makes it look as if God chooses who he wants and we don't really have a choice in the matter as to it's like, oh, God chose me, so I guess I'm stuck with it, for lack of a better term. But this next verse, this next verse is our part in this because the blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient to pay the price for the sins of everyone from that day to now and Back in back into the past, the blood of Jesus was sufficient to pay the price for every sin of mankind. But it's only effective to those who receive it. Let's go back. Let's go back to that inheritance. Let's go back to that will. Somebody dies, and in their will it says, "You get five million dollars." Awesome. But it doesn't do me any good if I don't take the, take the bank book, if I don't receive the debit card and go start using it. If I don't receive it, it doesn't do me any good. It's in a bank. It's got my name on it. But if I don't receive it, my life doesn't change at all. This is what happened when Jesus Christ came for us. That there is a bank account in the bank of heaven with your name on it that says this person has received eternal life has received abundant life a life in abundance to the full till it overflows in everything that that means this person has received spiritual life that they were dead and we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now he has made us alive. This person has received all provision so that they no longer have to live in poverty. This person has received all healing so that they no longer have to live with infirmities in their body. All that's on the books. But the, the old saying was, if you don't take the checkbook, now, I haven't carried a checkbook on an account in 
13, 12 years, we had, we had a checkbook on our first account. But haven't carried a checkbook on, a, on an account in over a decade in any case. But I have a debit card. This, verse 13, is our application of the debit card. In him you also trusted. He said, this, this is our part. Grace says, here, have this. Faith says, thank you, I believe I will. Brother Copeland used, used the uh, illustration, and I love this. Brother Copeland used the illustration, and he saw this in a vision, that Jesus came to him with a giant cookie sheet, a huge pan of cookies. And he holds it out, and he says, have a cookie. <laughs> well, there's only one response. There's only one acceptable response when Jesus says, have a cookie. The response is, thank you, I believe I will. And then you reach out, and you take the cookie. Somebody else comes to you and says, have a cookie. I already have one. Now, depends on the cookie. I may want another one. But, <laughs> ooh, good call. Good call. <laughs> but the, verse 13, this is our part. In him you also trusted. So, he chose us before the foundation of the world. This is our part. In him you also trusted. This is the response. This is the response of faith to grace. Grace says, have it. Faith says, thank you, sir. I believe I will. I take it. Now I have it. Now it's mine. <laughs> and we praise God for it. Yay, hallelujah. Woo! In, in him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. So, why do I do what I do? Why do I come in here and preach? <laughs> no, I, I come in here to preach because I've already got it. I want to make sure y'all get it too. We, we, we minister from the overflow. I come to bring cookies. <laughs> I would... <laughs> oh, praise God. Ooh, that's good stuff too. I, <laughs> All right, well, let, let's, let's focus here, guys. <laughs> in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth. So I come in here to bring you the word of truth. Why? So that you can receive it. Why? So that you can have that abundant life. This is the, this is the mission of Faith Alive Ministries and has been since 1980. is to teach God's people how to live in this world. The kind of the B part of that that we put on the vision slide for mom and dad's church in Arizona was that we are here to bring the abundant life of Christ to the people that we minister to. So in him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel gospel is good news of your salvation. Salvation is not just getting to heaven. We're getting there. Praise God for that. I, I, I'm so thankful for that because I don't care how good of a life you have here. I don't care if I have millions of dollars in the bank and can do whatever I want to on earth. If I die and go to hell, it's all worthless. But I, I have Jesus. He says over in the book of Luke, some, some of y'all are familiar should be familiar with Matthew 6.33. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, talking about all the, all the earthly things that he just spent time talking about. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? All of that 
And he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That same verse over in the book of Luke, I believe it's in chapter 12. But the next verse says, Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So if you seek, you will find. I seek the kingdom of God. I receive the kingdom of God. And what does that mean? That's the gospel. That is the good news. I go back to what I, what I started with on this. People who don't want to be preached to. They don't want to be preached to because they've never heard truly good news. And the good news is... What is the good news? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth as a man. That he lived a perfect, sinless, atoning life. That he perfectly fulfilled the law. That he died. That he died on the cross of Calvary and poured out his blood to pay the price for my sins, to redeem me to my Father. That he he descended into the depths of hell and took on my punishment. But that after that, that he rose from the grave and now he ever lives to make intercession for me. That is the good news. That is the gospel which we preach. And then when people believe that, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed. This this ties in so much with what we've already talked about. That you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When something is sealed, when something is sealed, it can't be opened. That means our spirits were sealed. That means the enemy is going to attack. He's going, to come, he's going to come against you. He's going to come against your mind. He's going to come against your body. It happens. Like I said, if any preacher tries to tell you that when you got saved, you weren't going to ever have another problem in the world, they lied. And that's... I kind of sidetracked myself a little bit ago. Surprise, surprise with, with, the, with the, what the Holy Spirit's been doing on this one tonight. But the reason... The reason, for instance, that my pastor will say I'm not a prosperity preacher is because he's talking about these ones who you hear late at night or early in the morning on... There's a, partic- there's a particular minister that I know of that runs an infomercial, or used to, on BET at like 5 in the morning. And I never could understand why he was on BET. Because he was not black, because he was not black and he was not entertaining. So I didn't know what he was doing on BET. But, (laughs) but his, his big shtick was, if you'll whip out your credit card and sow sow this huge seed into my ministry, I believe God will do thus and such for you. Melanie and I used to work in a call center that took calls for a number of ministries, some very good, very solid, very godly ministries. But this particular guy was one of our clients as well. We would get people on a nightly basis calling in, trying to sow this seed. And their cards were getting declined because they didn't have any money. They were already broke. They didn't have the $273 recovery seed. Right. <laughs> yeah. For the simple donation of $273. $273. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, it, it was like. It, it. Yeah. Anyway, we 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 won't get into that. But but there's there's we won't get into this. But there's a huge difference between that and like I said, I I firmly I will I will absolutely wear it as a badge of honor. Wear the label of prosperity preacher. But what do I mean by that? I mean by that that I will teach people the principles of sowing and reaping. That the Word of God says that over in Galatians that says that you will reap what you sow. That if you will be faithful and will give into the kingdom of God, and I'm not talking necessarily about money, but money is a, it's a, it's a tool. It's a representation of our time. I go to a job. And I trade my hours for their dollars. So that money is a representation of my time, of the time that I had to put into it to earn that money. So that's what I'm talking about here, that we can realize and we can understand that prosperity is provision in every area. And it's this, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This is not... Yeah, send me your two hundred and seventy-three dollars, or send you know. It was it was always the it was always the numerological offerings. We were we were working in that call center in December of twenty twelve, and so on twelve twelve twelve. Another minister said, "So your seat of twelve dollars." That's a lot easier for people to do, <laughs> and so people did it. But that's that's all beside the point. the The point is this. Back to where we were. Verse 13. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, your sozo, your perfect provision in every area. That's where we got off on this. Salvation. Sozo. Absolutely. Some, some of you guys have, have heard this. But that salvation is for every area. Yes, it's spiritual salvation. Yes, it means we're not on our way to hell anymore. Thank God. I don't want to go to hell. And I don't have to because I've been I've been saved. I've been saved from that. I've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But it also means I've been saved from going from putting up with the same junk that everybody else has to put up with. Not that the attack is not going to come. Not that the bill isn't going to show up in the mail that you didn't expect. It still shows up. But what I love is I heard, heard Brother Jesse Duplantis say that, say this one day. He was talking about when, when bills come into the ministry. He says, I'll take them before the Lord and I'll say, you've got mail. <laughs> it's like, you've got mail. Exactly. I, I, I picked this up from, from Chaplain McCollum over at Eddie Warrior. Several years ago, they they built there on the on their facility there in Taft, they built a brand new chapel building. And just a beautiful building, very, very well laid out. I told told Melanie if I could take that same building or take that same layout, that same plan, and put it out on the reservation for mom and dad. I'd do it quick because it's a it's a great building. But one of the first times I was in there, she was talking about some of the things that they had to go through to get that to get that building built. 
because it was all paid for by no donations. The the state wasn't going to pay for it, <laughs> and so they said. So she said, "What we had to learn that if it's God's will, it's His bill. So if God calls me to do something, I can look at it and say." You called me to do this. You told me to do this. And your word tells me that if I'm willing and I'm obedient, that I'll eat the good of the land. Well, I'm willing. I'm being obedient. I've got a good attitude about this. It's got to happen. And it does. That's what salvation is. Spirit, soul, body, physical, financial, relational. If that clock is right, I'm out of time. That clock is right. I am out of time. Holy Lord. (laughs) Yes, he is. Oh, that uh, that same friend that didn't want to be preached to one night. I forget the con- the context of the conversation. I believe it was about me being a preacher. She's like, oh, good Lord. I'm like, well, yes. <laughs> and she knows, and every, all my friends know. It's like, no, I'm not going to open the door and then be prepared because it is on. <laughs> In any case, let's let's pray and get you all out of here. Oh, holy Lord. Thank you, Father. Oh, Jesus, we praise you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son that died for us. But not only that died for us, that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that sacrifice that you made. You didn't have to do it, but you did it because of your great love with which you loved us. And Lord, I thank you that every need, it's all wrapped up in salvation. Every need, spirit, soul, body, physical, financial, relational, every need is met in accordance with your riches and glory, Lord, by your Son, our Lord and Savior, our brother, Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, if there is anyone in this room tonight that does not know you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move on their life, not to condemn You're not the condemner. That's the job of the accuser. But to convict them and to draw them to yourself, Lord. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is the spirit of comfort. If there's anyone tonight that's dealing with pain in their body, pain in their mind, pain and discomfort and dis-ease in any area of their life, that that you are the God of all comfort and that your Holy Spirit is working and moving even now to make a way, to make a path where it doesn't seem like anything could happen. Father, we praise you for it. We honor you. We bless you in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. (laughs) 